It's that constant sharing of war stories that people learn from most, essentially professional therapy. And it's that idea of being in a room with other people who have similar problems and realizing that you are not alone. That's the big difference with community, right? This is the SaaS Open Mic Podcast, where we talk to SaaS leaders about the inner workings of growing a business. Starting a business is not too hard nowadays, but growing it successfully definitely is. Listen to SaaS founders and operators talk about their daily challenges, strategic moves, tough decisions, and mistakes made along the way. My name is Bianca Wilk. I'm the host of SaaS Open Mic. Head over to chartmogul.com for more content like this and easy access to your SaaS metrics with just a few clicks. James is one of the co-founders of Mind the Product, the world's largest product management community. After a career in recruiting, James moved into tech with the traditional crash and burn for his first startup. Recently, as the CEO of Mind the Product, he led the organization to a successful acquisition by Pendo. James and I speak about software companies acquiring communities and what both sides should know before entering into such a partnership. Hi, James. I'm very, very glad we got connected. I'm very happy to speak to you today. How are you doing? I'm good. Delighted to be here. I've been following Chart Mogul for quite some years. Uh, good to uh, connect and talk a little more. Oh, that's awesome. So I have to say, you're not really like the typical SaaS open mic guests. And that's absolutely great. You know, like, um, I think this is what's going to make the conversation so much more interesting because you're heading up a community, a community of product managers. And if I'm not mistaking, the largest community of product managers. Could well be. Yeah, it's about 350,000. Impressive. Wow. So could you tell us a little bit more about Mind the Product? Sure. So it's a community of product managers, as you say. Um, originally started with a small meetup in London back in 2010. The Martin Erickson kicked off. Um, but at the same time, Jana Basto and Simon Cast kicked off Product Camp in London. And some smart person introduced the three of them and said, hey, you should get together. You're all doing community for product managers. So they did. From there, things have uh, grown somewhat. Yeah. So how did you personally get involved in building the community? What is, what is your role at Mind the Product? Those three kicked off the the, uh, the the very sort of embryonic community. And then 2011, Jana and I were working at the same startup in London. She, Simon and Martin had decided that there was an opportunity for this meetup to become a conference. So they started looking into what that might look like, um, how to fund it, what the day would be. And I was working at the same startup as Janet and I was on the, I was on the commercial side. So we started talking about the numbers and how we could structure it. And I had some ideas and said, well, maybe a, a little bit like this and maybe tweak that a little bit, make it more sustainable. And then like some of the ideas that I was able to bring to the table. And uh, so we went forward from there. But um, I, I did a, a number of customer runs for them and sort of proved out the thinking. This is what I think. That's nice. Can you prove it? Turns out, yes, I could. So with that in mind, I, uh, I I basically got on board as the fourth co-founder, but specifically to drive the commercial side of things. So building sponsored partnerships, and then from there looking at um, other things like which markets or which services we might introduce uh, in future. That's fascinating. It must have been an amazing journey to build a community just from scratch, from a small meetup to to what it is now. It's been brilliant, and yeah, so you know, for anybody who works with product managers, you know that one of the one of the defining traits of anybody who works in product is lifetime curiosity, right? They've always, always got an itch to scratch, always got something new to learn. So just being surrounded by that community as it's grown has been a spectacular experience. So James, the timing of this conversation is definitely not accidental. 
because you announced in you announced in February that Mind the Product has been acquired. Indeed. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you. So I'm wondering, did you always know that you were gonna sell? Or maybe were you approached by different organizations that expressed interest in acquiring Mind the Product? Neither of those things. When we first started, when uh, when, when Martin and the and the, uh, the original founding crew kicked off, the aim was simply to bring product managers together from to learn from one another. Back at that time, if you were a PM in London, chances are you were the only one at your firm. It was a pretty isolated role. Marketers had a meetup, designers had a meetup. Let's do something for product people. Um, so the aim was always to just provide that community, provide that group therapy, that learning opportunity. And it spiraled from there. Fundamentally, we listened to the community and what they wanted next, and we were directed in that way. But we never actually sat down and thought, is there an exit? <laughs> what, what might it be? Uh, we really didn't know. We, we, we talked long and hard um, over the years about the different things that we could do that service the community, but never about an actual endpoint. And it wasn't until late last year, probably August, September last year, that we actually said, actually, we should step back slightly. We've just survived the pandemic. We've pivoted the business. We've done this, that, and the other over the last... What do we actually want it to be long term? What is the goal here? And we didn't know. So at that point, I took the lead on having conversations with VCs, other training companies, other conference providers, some publishing houses, some major SaaS vendors that were in our market space, and just started to explore what possibilities might be out there, what they thought was interesting. Um, as much as anything, it was about saying, we're a team of 16 people with eight or nine different business lines. What do those companies place value in? What do they think is most important? Uh, so we wanted to understand that perspective. And then from there, the conversation with Pendo particularly emerged as being really interesting, some very, very strong alignment. Yeah. So you sold to Pendo. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Why do you say that? Why do you think that there was like such a strong alignment between buying the product and Pendo? Pendo is a company that has uh, been producing software specifically for the product management audience for quite some time. We knew them reasonably well. We've worked with them as an event sponsor and as a content provider for got to be five, six years at least. And I actually was vaguely in touch with the founder before he even started Pendo back at his previous firm. They've done a fantastic job of the software that they produce, and they've stayed very, very strong on the way that they've done that, both in terms of the software values, but also in terms of the way that they speak about it and the kind of content that they produce. So we've always had a good fit with them. But it's got to the point where Pendo um, wants to be more than just software. So they already provide a decent amount of content. They have a, a user conference called Pendemonium. So they have some, some experience of the event world, professional services team as well. So some strong similarities, but Mind the Product was much more about the open house of where all of product comes together. So that fit suddenly seemed very, very attractive. And likewise, from a Mind the Product perspective, people have often said, you know, what is Mind the Product? What does Mind the Product do? Well, there's this and there's that and there's the other. The easiest way to describe it almost is, is to say that we're almost anything a product manager could need except software. So that fit of working with an actual software vendor suddenly, well, now we do have the whole solution, right? We really do have everything under one roof here. This could be quite something. Absolutely. That does really sound like a perfect fit. So James, last week we were speaking about how this is sort of like a trend in the industry, software companies acquiring communities. Like it's it's pretty common now. I, I can, you know, I was researching this a little bit and, and I found that like Stripe and HubSpot and Zapier and and there's plenty of, of other examples of software companies acquiring communities. But from your perspective as a community builder, what do you think software companies should know, should understand? when thinking of acquiring a community? I think the first thing is that people do, people making acquisitions look for how quickly will this contribute to my bottom line? Is it, um, you know, is it immediately going to contribute additional revenue or additional profit or something along those lines? As anybody who's run a community will happily tell you, it's a slow burn. 
it doesn't matter what you're trying to do what you're trying to provide to that community or how you're working with them it's a slow burn pretty much always and i think that's something that pendo understood um, which helped us along the way it was like there's definitely some good fit here but we don't need to run into any of it we're not immediately looking for mine the product to contribute an extra amount to the bottom line or anything like that um, and i think that's probably the first thing for any SaaS company particularly who's looking at this and thinking about it. it's like does it add value well yes it does but the value that is adding is not going to be immediate pounds to the bottom line it's a slightly different play than that so step back and fully understand why it is you think this community is valuable and how it's going to fit with your organizational aims yeah, of course, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, right? Like there's certain risks. <laughs> what are the other risks that you were maybe considering when preparing for the acquisition? I think one of the things that Mind the Product has always been very, very well known for is our independence and neutrality. We speak about good product management practices. We expose great product management stories. Sometimes we even expose those horror stories so that people can know, you know what might be going wrong or what to look at, or what to be aware of. Um, but that neutrality has always been key. So, for example, when we're curating the conference, we have a commercial team talking to sponsors. We have a curation team talking to speakers. But as a sponsor, you can't say, well, for an extra few quid, can we put someone on stage? Right? That's that's not a game we play. We never have. And I think that's something that some people did originally fear. It's like, if Pendo buys mine the product, is it suddenly going to come the Pendo show? Like opening keynotes from Pendo biz developers and all of the workshop content will change to skew towards Pendo products. No. That's absolutely not the case. And one of the reasons why we were so happy for this deal to go forward with Pendo is that they were equally keen to recognize that. I remember one of the really early conversations was um, with one of the, um, the Pendo marketing leaders, Joe Chernoff, awesome guy. And Joe said, you know, my marketing team's job is to help sell software. Your job, if we do this, if we go forwards together, you have to stand there and protect the community. And if you think we're pushing too hard, you need to say so. You need to say, back off, make sure that we protect the community and we keep that safe and we don't water it down, dilute it, burn it as a mailing list or whatever. And the fact that Pendo recognized those concerns right out of the gate was really, really healthy. I think everybody's seen a story here and there where a community has been acquired and suddenly the new owner just hits it nonstop with email trying to sell product. That's not going to work. You're just going to turn your community into a mailing list and then burn it down. That's it. <laughs> yeah. But there's so many positives as well, right? Like um, bigger reach for both the community and the software company and just access to so many new possibilities, right? There's so many positives. Oh, absolutely. And I think one of the most important things that um, you know, any, certainly anybody who works in product will tell you is that listening to your customers is incredibly powerful. Most product managers will quite happily say, yeah, I know we should listen to customers. Don't get the chance as much as I like don't have as much freedom as I might want to go do those customer interviews to put the time into that discovery. Whereas we're sitting here with a situation where we've got several hundred thousand product managers around the room and Pendo get to be in the room and listen to the conversations. They don't have to sit there and sell. They can quite happily just say, we are learning all the time, every day about what our core customer base is doing, what they're struggling with, what challenges them, how we can make software that improves their lives and makes their world better. Huge opportunity there. Yeah, you're basically raising the next generation of product leaders. Oh, absolutely. One of the conversations, again, one of the earlier conversations was that um, as part of Pendo now, as part of the Pendo family, our core mission doesn't actually change. We continue to bring product managers together. We continue to create learning opportunities. We continue to drive the craft forwards. That's all Pendo needs us to do. We're not here to be a, a mouthpiece or a sales engine for them, particularly. If we're making the product management market bigger and better educated, then Pendo will sell more software anyway. That's just a natural side effect of making a bigger, more educated market. So we can stay true to our mission. We can absolutely do our best work. And our new friends will, will quite happily enjoy that ride with us. 
So with your experience, what advice would you give to other community leaders that are maybe considering some sort of an exit? I think the first thing is to make sure that they've really understood what their potential acquirer wishes to do. Are they going to invest in the team? Do they see it as a sales engine? Is it a brand play? Is it a customer education um, adventure? What, Where specifically does it fit within the organization? Why? How? In our particular case, Bendo is obviously a pretty sizable organization. They're well-funded. They've grown incredibly fast over the last couple of years. And the natural home for us was to fit as part of the brand team. So yeah, we raised, we raised brand awareness, but we don't carry a sales target. I think if we did, that would be quite worrying for everybody. So I think it's those kind of conversations that community leaders can dig into before doing deals of this kind. So I would like us to talk shortly about valuation because there's plenty of discussions already in like, for SaaS business and how they get valued. But I imagine it's even trickier to value a community. What's your perspective? How can anyone you know, quantify the value of a community? I mean, the accepted wisdom with events businesses or training businesses, there's multipliers, right? You can take your EBIT, apply a multiplier, there's a fair valuation. And accountants will quite happily tell you that. But that's looking at it as an events business continuing for the next few years. I think the more interesting route to explore is what does that strategic fit look like? How do these companies, by pulling together these two parts, are they somehow worth more than the sum? Is the benefit to end users considerably more? Um, That's where you can start talking about unlocking the true value of an arrangement like this. It's not just about we can shift an extra 10 units of software a year or something like that. It's like we can make our customers smarter. We can improve the experience for everybody. I think that's one of the uh, the main reasons why SaaS companies are starting to realize that this is an opportunity for them. I think you can see numerous examples where companies have tried to create their own community around their product. It's not really worked. The community tends to get a little suspicious. It's like, you're only pulling us in here because you want to sell us more. You want to upsell us onto something else. Whereas an authentic community actually run by the people who really care about that subject matter, it's much more credible, it's much more authentic, and the ties that bind are that much stronger. And in Mind the Product's own case, the original three founders were product managers. They were scratching their own itch. I think it's something we're going to see a lot more of over the next couple of years, for sure. Um, and I think there was uh, something I was reading on the, on the topic the other day, actually, where people talking a little bit about where Web3 goes. Um, you know, Web1 being sort of 1990 to 2000, the open protocols, users and builders, Web2, things started to get much more centralized, right? So you had the emergence of huge companies like Google and Apple and the FANG companies um, kind of owning the internet at that point. You now look at technology and you're moving into the Web3 period where you've got the builders and the users actually owning the thing orchestrated with tokens. It's that much more distributed than ever before. So community is almost a, a physical representation of that. So I think more and more as SaaS companies look to the future and look to see where they might go, I think you're going to see a lot more of these deals in future. You know, they do need to start by asking those questions. You know, one of them is or should be the product manager's most common question. What problem are we trying to solve? If you can't answer that question, then stop. That's the question you need to answer first. You know, whether you're a community builder or whether you're looking at acquiring a community, whatever it might be, have a really clear answer to that. What problem do you think this is going to solve? What problem are you trying to solve? And is that a problem that your users actually care about? Does the problem evolve? Like how the problem is defined? Does does the definition evolve over time? Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, just take a look at the last two years and the sheer scale of change that has happened to everybody's working environment. Yes, the problem changes. You know, uh, Product managers are central to collaboration on most technology teams, right? And they pretty much all used to be co-located with their designers, with their developers. 
How many of them are co-located right now versus working remotely and happened for the last two years? The problem changes. The only the only constant is change. So yeah, the, the problem constantly reshapes. But again, that's one of those values of how do you get close to your users so that you understand what those changes are, so that you're able to recognize them, so that you're able to build your product and look at the future and say, well, we've got these 15 things on our roadmap, but actually we can start to see some shifts emerging through these community conversations. That thing that we were planning on building, is that still relevant? Is that still right? So how do you see the difference between software companies building audiences versus building communities? Because software companies are inevitably going to try and build like a, a huge audience on their blog or their podcast, right? Or or uh, any other medium. But a community is something very different. Absolutely. And I think the, the core part to it is the peer-to-peer -peer learning side of it. So with an audience, it's always the audience looking at what the company puts out, whether it's content or webinars or whatever it might be. Whereas when you actually get a community, those people are learning from one another. And one of the things that struck me the very first time I attended a product tank meetup in London 10 odd years ago was the thing ran for about four hours of an evening. Uh, there are about 45 minutes worth of actual talks. The rest of the time, it was the attendees talking to one another. Well, I'm working on this. I'm working on that. This is going horribly wrong. Oh, I had that once. And this is what we found. This is how we addressed it. It's that constant sharing of war stories that people learn from most. And, you know, I've heard Product Tank referred to so many times as essentially professional therapy. And it's that idea of being in a room with other people who have similar problems and realizing that you are not alone. That's the big difference with community, right? Yeah. And I like from my perspective, I think like that's something that software companies really need to understand about communities. You know, it's not about just shouting at people. It's about collaboration. It's about support. It's about peer-to-peer -peer activities. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the models that um, Martin actually uh, sketched out beautifully a couple of years ago was kind of the flywheel that sits at the heart of Mind the Product. So as we talk more about product managers, you get new people coming into product. They start to learn. They soak up our content as they learn. They might tell their friends and bring their friends along to Mind the Product in future. So our community continues to grow. Meanwhile, these people themselves are growing. They're developing more professionally and they get to the point where they say, hey, I'm now a product leader. I'd like to tell my story a little bit. I've got something to give back or maybe I'm hiring and I need to raise my visibility. So that starts to generate the new content that we then need to feed that content engine and to get up at those meetups and to tell those stories. But it's that perpetuating flywheel at the heart of it. Um, that's absolutely the core of Mind the Product. And I think at the core of most active communities that have content and peer-to-peer -peer learning at the heart. So what's next for Mind the Product within the organization of Pendo? The first thing is uh, essentially for both sides to just take a good long look at one another. When you go through the due diligence process, there's a lot of paperwork, there's a lot of spreadsheets, there's a lot of numbers, but you don't necessarily get to really know the new team that you're working with. So for the first few months, at least, it'll be everybody taking a deep breath and saying, okay, so we know Mind the Product does conferences and training and workshops and podcasts and newsletters and web content. And let's take a closer look at that. How is it actually produced? How have you managed to maintain that level of quality, that level of reputation? And likewise, we need to take a closer look at Pendo and say, okay, what customers do you have? How do you work with them? Where can mine the products slot in and actually improve life for those customers? So, you know, Pendo has some smaller customers on the startup side of things. They also have some huge enterprise customers. Their needs are going to be completely different. There's probably stuff in the mine the product stable that will suit those customers in some way. Maybe it's free access to some of the content that can help people, or maybe it's some of the paid stuff that we do, like the corporate workshops where we're leveling up and upskilling product teams. Don't really know. 
But the first thing is not necessarily to change a whole raft of stuff. It's just to take a really good look at one another and make sure that we understand the business model that the other has. Because while we've got some similarities and some great alignment, they're also very, very different businesses. That's notwithstanding the fact that Pendo's a thousand people, mine the product's 16, um, and we speak, you know, <laughs> the same language, but we're separated by an ocean. You do have that coming together of US, UK culture. So, you know, there's, there needs to be a little bit of take a deep breath, get used to one another. Okay, we've got some new friends. Let's go learn about one another and see where this goes. But certainly it's, it's a very interesting opportunity to have. Um, the, uh, the opportunities are endless, as they say. Absolutely. Yeah, I very much look forward to seeing what's next for Remind the Product and, and how Pendo will also grow and, and learn from all of you. Uh, there's plenty to come. I mean, you know, for, for one thing, we're an events business at the core still. And, you know, whilst the pandemic is not necessarily over, we're certainly coming out of the worst of it, I hope, um, and looking to get back to real world events you know we'll we'll, we'll continue to do the online stuff um we found hybrid models that work and we've, we've been working with hop with hopping for a couple of years now and we're pretty comfortable with that platform but there's definitely a desire from quite a number of people in the market to get back to real life events as well and we want to support that they're, they're a big lift to get right we've always maintained a great reputation in that so that's something we're excited to get back to but Referring back to the, the comment a few moments ago, the, the world has changed beyond all recognition over the last couple of years. And I think one of the things that we'll see is that where our audience previously was nicely unified, we're going to see the emergence of two separate audiences. We're going to find one group of people who say, I don't actually need to take time out of the office and go and sit on a plane and stay in a hotel in order to attend a conference. I can just watch the best bits on my screen and I'm done traveling. That's cool. We need to make sure that we've got an experience for those people that meets with the mind the product expectations and standards. But we are also going to see those people who say, I now work at home full time and I can't wait to get out of my little box and go and meet some people in the flesh again. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> so I think, you know, we're going to have those people that can't wait to get back to a real life event. And we want to be there for those folks, too. So now, as we, we, we did our first full hybrid conference back in October um, in London. The place that we started from, I think we we absolutely got this one right, was to say we are not running two events for one audience. We're running two events for two separate audiences. The online experience is going to be very, very different to the in-person experience. And we need to map those out separately and figure out what makes each one special. The last thing we want is for one group or other to feel like second-class citizens on the day. So this, I think we did a pretty decent job of that one. The feedback was ace frankly i was really really pleased with that um but there's always learning and i think the market is going to keep evolving over the next couple of years at quite some pace so we don't uh, i don't think we get to sit still for long that's for sure that's fantastic yeah sitting still is definitely not an option and as i said i'm really excited to see what's next for mind the product james thank you so much for sharing your your insights thank you so much for sharing all your experience around acquisitions and and building mind the product it, it was fantastic i loved having you as a guest thank you so much for joining sas open mic absolutely my pleasure thank you thank you for listening to this episode of sas open mic if you enjoyed it leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts the best teams in SaaS use Chartmogul to measure, understand, and grow their recurring revenue. Head over to chartmogul.com to try the leading subscription analytics platform. That's chartmogul.com. See you in the next episode of SaaS Open Mic. Mm-hmm.